Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights. I'm Audrey Goh, Senior Cross Asset Strategist, and on this episode of the podcast, we shall be discussing about concerns over a resurgence in COVID-19 in parts of the world, such as Japan and Germany, which has imposed tighter lockdowns due to a surge in COVID cases, as well as the implications on risky assets. Join me today for this conversation, and we'd like to welcome Fukien Yap, Senior Equity Strategist, and Marco Yakini, Cross Asset Strategist. Welcome both. Now, let me start with question one, and that's for you, Marco. Um, we've seen a resurgence in COVID infection, for example, in India, Japan, Germany. Uh, some of the countries have now imposed tighter lockdowns. Is this something for investors to worry about? Hi, Audrey. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, this is a um, something of concern as of late, uh, but obviously has uh, impacts on central bank policy action. And, and here, one of the key focuses for us for this week is what we're going to expect from the Federal Reserve uh, in the next week's meeting, which is on Tuesday. Now, U.S. Fed Chair Jerome Powell and his colleagues have a tough balancing act to perform in the coming months, in our view. And this is even as the global economy reflates from the reflection, uh, recession. And this is because they need the U.S. economy to recover sustainably, but not to the extent that it accelerates too quickly, forcing them to tighten monetary policy sooner than the market expects. Now, in other words, they want the economy to be not too hot, not too cold, and in that Goldilocks state to stay as warm as long as possible in order to sustainably heal the U.S. job market. Now, this would entail the Fed to keep the current monetary policy unchanged, and we see several factors enabling them to do so. Now, first, as you mentioned, the resurgence of COVID-19 cases in Europe and some large emerging economies means that the global recovery is likely to remain lopsided leaving ample slack worldwide, especially outside the U.S. Now, for example, uh, the euro area is likely to see its recovery pushed back by another quarter as Germany enters yet another national lockdown. Uh, The good news here for the region is that the pace of vaccinations is set to pick up. In the developing world, clearly the recent acceleration in cases in countries such as India and Brazil has dampened the hopes that the worst of the pandemic was behind us. Uh, this is amplified also by the fact that the increasingly dominant strain, new strain, appears to be more infectious. But here again, the importance of vaccinations could not be any clearer, as based on examples of countries such as the UK or Israel, where vaccine programs have shown success in reducing hospitalizations. At the beginning of the year, we stressed the importance of both the efficacy and rollout of vaccines, and it seems like there is so much more to be done in the latter, especially in the emerging world. Now, these imbalances, however, are one of the key factors that is keeping the economy, uh, the economic recovery lopsided. The second factor is China's policy-driven economic moderation and regulatory tightening, as these measures should prevent the world's second, second largest economy from overheating. And lastly, I guess this is two factors combined, but is the, the ECB's renewed pledge to maintain easy monetary policy for years to come and the sustained bid for U.S. government bonds by Japanese investors, which should help cap U.S. and global bond yields, and in that way keeping financial conditions easy. So against this uneven global economic backdrop, the Fed has plenty of scope to push back any talk of early tapering, 
and instead Powell and team are likely to focus on the still high U.S. jobless rates, especially in the lower income segments of the population. So we think that the Fed's game plan would likely involve waiting for the ongoing U.S. vaccinations program to deliver herd immunity, uh, which could be sometime around the end of Q3, uh, before considering any change. Now, what does that mean for investors? We believe that the combination of gradual economic reflation and ultra-easy policy means that the Goldilocks environment is here to stay for the next 6 to 12 months. Now, given this, any market turbulence in the coming weeks, whether due to COVID-19 or geopolitical events, would be for us an opportunity to add exposure to our preferred, and, uh, to our preferred cyclical and structural themes, such as value-style equities and stocks, or um, stocks related to innovation and green technologies. Also, in currency markets, we think the British pound and the Canadian dollar also offer tactical opportunities. Thanks, Marco. Now, you have, you've highlighted um, the risk of the surge in COVID-19, especially on the emerging market front, and more needs to be done, apparently. Um, what about the impact on EM bond investors? Are you concerned uh, this COVID surge, especially in parts of India, will impact EM bond prices? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, right, COVID-19 cases are again surging in some of these developing countries. Um, however, we believe that the risk of uh, emerging market bond investors or the risk to emerging market bond investors is likely to be relatively contained. And the reasons why I say that is because, um, first, countries that are facing these uh, resurgence in cases do not constitute a large part of the emerging market bond universe. And also, the governments in these countries are responding by accelerating vaccine approvals and taking preemptive measures. And at the same time, given that uh, we have uh, vaccinations uh, being rolled out globally, the chances for a wider outbreak similar to what we saw in 2020 are lower. And obviously, last but not least, uh, for the broader asset class, which is quite wide, uh, emerging market fundamentals such as business activity surveys have picked up, and this is reflective of the ongoing upward momentum in the recovery. Now, uh, we would not rule out any risk coming from negative headlines causing some short-term volatility in bonds, but we believe that a direct risk from COVID-19 remains fairly contained in this asset class as a whole. What well, is probably more of a risk for the asset, for this asset class, we believe, is U.S. Treasury yields and the U.S. Out, and US dollar outlook which um, could potentially, as I said, be uh, more significant risks. But even here, we believe that the, um, the Fed, which is still supportive, is likely, likely to, to contain Treasury yields and the U.S. dollar, supporting, therefore, the emerging market bonds. Now, all, taking all this together, what, what it means is that we retain our preference for emerging market dollar government bonds and Asia dollar bonds. Well, thanks, Marco. And talking about the currency fund, um, the next question is for you, Fukien. We have seen a pullback in the U.S. dollar, uh, specifically the DXY index, and that has supported higher beta, riskier currencies. Um, do you think they have further to run? Uh, yes. Hi. Thanks, Audrey. So the key near-term currency drivers that we see is, one, your COVID-19 cases, the vaccination rate, and also next week's Fed meeting. Now, with the Fed, we expect them to be unchanged in their policies, and so we expect the U.S. dollar to remain range-bound but with a bearish bias. So this shapes our view really on the high beta or the riskier currency, where we believe a buy the dip is the right strategy. So if I'll talk about the currencies in turn, in terms of the uh, British pound to the US dollar, we do not foresee a catalyst for the GBP to US dollar to break above resistance 
at 1.4235. The UK elections on the 6th of May and then your Scottish independence is a likely focus and these factors could weigh on the British pound. But we expect very strong medium-term support at the 1.3615 to 1.3665 levels. Now, if I look at the Aussie dollar to the US dollar, we see resistance there at 0.8 and support at 0.7515. And with the New Zealand dollar to the US dollar, uh, we also think it should encounter resistance at 0.747 and there's a strong support at 0.692 for the New Zealand dollar to the US dollar. Our strongest near-term conviction really is for a weaker US dollar to Canadian dollar. This means that the Canadian dollar would be stronger and the US economic growth is uh, going to support the Canadian economic growth too and the Canadian budget is also expansionary and we also see a more hawkish Bank of Canada. These are all factors that will support a stronger Canadian dollar. So uh, exiting the current lockdowns and improving nationwide vaccination rates should be the next drivers for the US dollar to Canadian dollar to fall. There's resistance in the 1.265 to 1.275 level, but we expect it will break and the March low uh, at 1.236, we think this will give way. And if it breaks below that, it will decline towards the 2017 to 2018 lows, which is at 1.206 and 1.2245. Uh, thanks, Ken. And now, lastly, moving on to equities, um, we have seen a major earnings disappointment in a particular thanks stock. Um, what is your thoughts on the tech sector, which is the single largest sector within U.S. equities? Yeah, that's right, Audrey. So the tech sector is the largest weight in the U.S. market. It comprises about 27% of the uh, S&P 500 index. So the week beginning 26 April will be the busiest week of results for the tech sector, as nearly one-third of the sector's companies will be reporting earnings. Now, consensus expectations about the tech sector earnings to grow 25% year-on-year in Q1. And this compares to the S&P 500 earnings growth at 32%, which is higher than the tech sector. So while the tech sector uh, earnings did well in 2020, it was outperforming the broader market every quarter in 2020. In 2021, it is expected to lag because the cyclical sectors that were hard hit by the pandemic will now see a cyclical rebound. So the tech sector's earnings strength in 2020 uh, was underpinned by structural growth factors such as digitalization, uh, the shift to the cloud, and then you've got remote working and learning, and also the 5G rollout. And this strength was actually uh, also reflected in the share price performance because the tech sector surged 42% in uh, 2020, We're outperforming the broader market, which is up only 16%. And we expect the structural growth factors to continue supporting the tech sector, but at the end of the day, the earnings are still expected to lag the broader market in 2021. And hence, we have a neutral view on the tech sector, and we do prefer sectors with a more cyclical exposure that will see the stronger earnings and cyclical rebound. So this is consistent with our preference also for the value over growth style equities, uh, where tech is a big component of the growth style. Great. Uh, thanks, Wilkin and Marco, for joining our conversation.
That's all for today's episode of Standard Chartered Money Insights. If you'd like to learn more or read our publication, please visit our website at sc.com under Market Insights. As a reminder, if you enjoyed our discussion, please rate and review us whenever you get your podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.